Hey, Carl here to say that Music to Code By is now an app called Music to Flow By. Now you can listen to the tracks on your phone with offline capability. The first three tracks are free, and the entire catalog is available by subscription with a new track arriving every month. Just go to musictoflowby.com for all the links. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Brian Harry is here. We're at Connected, Microsoft in NYC. Yeah. I, I, this show's been going on a few years, but we've never recorded here before. No, we haven't. No, it's yeah. cool. It's very cool. And, of course, I'm very excited to talk to Brian. But uh, uh, before we do that, I have something here for everybody to juice on. It's uh, Better No Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, dude, a little bit better know. So we, we've talked about material design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the UI Google basically invented, and everybody's using it now because it's so nice, uh, or for whatever reason they're using it. But anyway, um, there's a, a bootstrap framework for it now, material design for bootstrap. Interesting. There's a couple of them, but the guys at AppVNext seem to like this one the best. It's a powerful and free UI kit for bootstrap 4 and 3 on GitHub. They have 400-plus material UI elements, 600-plus material icons, 74 CSS animations, SAS files, templates, tutorials, and many more. All fully responsive, all compatible with different browsers, and it includes CSS for handling animations, colors, typography, helpers, hover effects, shadows, icons, components, and JavaScript. All sorts of badges, buttons, cards, footers, forms, material wow. boxes, like... It's big. It's all the things so that a developer doesn't have to think about their own design anymore. Right. <laughs> and that's what Bootstrap has really been good at. Right. You know, just sort of taking, how, wow, you made that website? Yeah, well, you know, Bootstrap. I just dropped that thing in there. I just <laughs> dropped that line of JavaScript in and good things happen. Yeah, it's like, wow, you're a talented artist. Well, okay, thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> and free for personal and commercial use. Yeah. So just give it away. Yep. That's a good one, man. Yeah, thanks. So uh, that's what I'm talking about. Who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 1491, the one we did with Dan Hellam and Rogan Ferguson mm. about building Visual Studio Team System with Visual Studio Team System. It was very meta. It was very meta. And this was one we did at Ignite, which was fun in Orlando. Yeah. I think we were in the West Concourse, too. So we basically had, had, had to walk to a different time zone mm. to get there. That place is gigantic. <laughs> that's right. My goodness. That's why I kept saying we were in Atlanta. Because <laughs> it was kind of a joke, but nobody listening got it. No, no, really <laughs> like, no we're not in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> well, the previous Ignite was in Atlanta, so it's like, you mixed it up, Ignites. Yeah. This comment comes from Mark Rusi, who says, uh, some really interesting topics were addressed in the episode, but especially the empowerment of the teams to decide, quote, how to cross the river, unquote, mm. and achieve a given goal. I've often found the outcomes resulting from development and product teams working closely together are way better than either could have imagined on their own. Yeah. So, nice open sort of thinking point on that. And Rogan and Dan were really big on this, you know, more important to do the right thing, right? right? To just go and do something, try and explore using the tools more effectively, make the workflow faster. And Donovan Brown said this in the keynote as well. It's like, don't get caught up asking permission. You own these tools, use right. these tools, you know, change the workflow, do it. And you, you can be better at uh, delivering software that way. And certainly mm -hmm. When you see a project, the scope of VSTS, 
being done that quickly. And again, in Donovan's piece, he was talking about 50 feature teams working simultaneously, right. feeding on onto a master branch yeah. and constantly being tested and constantly being deployed and, mm. and them dog fooding it themselves. Like it was stunning to watch flow. So, uh, I, I, you're right, Mark. It, if the teams, you cannot do this with dogma, right? You cannot mandate an efficient workflow. Everybody's got to be on board, and it's going to look different than you planned, and it'll be better. Yeah. I think really that's what Mark was getting at. So, Mark, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there, we read it on the show. We'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We use them for material design buttons. Nice. I think. Uh, all right, let me introduce formally our friend Brian Harry. He is the Corporate Vice President for the Visual Studio Team Services Organization, responsible for the Visual Studio Team Services and Team Foundation Server product lines. Welcome back to .NET Rocks, Brian. Thank you very much. Glad to be back. And I have to admit, I updated your bio for this show from the previous one we did with you, which was a few years ago, when you were a technical fellow. Yeah. Which I always thought was the coolest job at Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. And you gave it up? Why, yeah. why would you do that? Well, I, you know, the, 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 the nuances between technical fellow and CVP are, 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 are vague. They're, they're sort of the same. They're the same level. level. It's, yeah. it's, it's really the, the primary difference is, uh, a CVP is an organizational leader. Right. Expectation and, and a technical fellow is expected to, to generally not lead an organization or at least not a large organization and rather focus more on individual technical uh, contribution. And over the years, my job evolved and, and my organization grew and grew to the point that now I, I manage an organization of, I don't know, 800 or so people. So it's, um, and how many it, of those in North made Carolina? a lot more sense. Um, about 120. Okay. Wow. And they, don't much there. they get yeah. to work closely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, I've had the good fortune to know many of the people who work with you. And by the way, they are huge fans of yours. Like, oh. <laughs> you have a very loyal organization. It's one of those places. Even talking to the NVPs, like the ALM Rangers, those oh, guys, yeah, yeah. fiercely loyal to the team. I don't know what you do over there exactly, <laughs> Mr. Harry, but it's it's really something. And you, it's you working. run a heck of an org. And it does, so in some, when you describe it that way, it's like, yeah, you really are a VP. I think you're, you've got quite a set of leadership skills that make a big difference to the company. Well, thank you very much. Hey, you were mentioning in the break that when we were talking talking about material design that there's uh, that Microsoft has their the fluent UI right. spec and that's really cool and yeah. you know, we've talked a little bit about it and we're very excited what's the current state of fluent well I, I you know I don't know that I, I have the most official statement on it but um, I think we've been gradually evolving towards fluent I think there are yeah. elements Affluent that come from the work we did with the Azure portal and the yeah. UX that we did there. There are elements that come out of uh, work that the Windows team has been doing and Windows services. Yeah. And there's elements that come out of the Office 365 team and the work mm -hmm. they've been doing. Um, but, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's sort of this gradual congealing process as yeah. we, as we work together and sort things out. The, the sort of, the spirit of the fluent design is captured by the office fabric uh, framework that, mm -hmm. you know, that anybody can use. It's open sourced. Anybody can use it. I also it. like that it's not finished. 
that yeah. they're still building it and they're yeah. taking feedback as they build it, which I'm kind of used to with dev orgs inside of Microsoft. I'm yeah. not used to that from the Windows and Office teams. Yeah, yeah. But it's been really exciting to yeah. watch happen. And it happens to be really beautiful. I mean, yeah. It is. Really and beautiful. and as it turns out, VSTS and TFS use it. That cool. We are uh I, I will say, well, we're we're some old jQuery stuff. We're we're a mix of of stuff as the app has evolved, but all our new stuff is based on um, on React and uh, Office Fabric. Interesting. Wow. Very cool. Okay. And I mean, this has got to be a challenge for you because the roots of VSTS goes all the way back to TFS. Like mm-hmm. you've got 15 years or 12, 12 years of code base out yeah, there. And our web stuff, not quite that much. That on, old, on the yeah. back end, it's, it's older, but we... We didn't introduce the web until 2008, I think. Right. So okay. Nine years. Nine years. It's really yeah. cool to see how, you know, everybody's working together now, like in this, all these communities, like you just mentioned, React is, you know, yep. they took some stuff from them and uh, everybody's sort of playing nice, you know, when it comes to uh, bringing these things forward. And I think of uh, VSTS and GitHub, yep. know, for example, what's, what's the relationship like these days with GitHub? I'd say overall good. I think we're, we're both heavily vested in moving Git forward, advancing the state of the art for developers, um, and, and making Git a great version control system yeah. for organizations and code bases of all size. So, mm-hmm. so this, uh, this week or the, today we announced a partnership with GitHub to drive forward, um, the GVFS work that we started. Um, as we move to, to move Microsoft onto, uh, onto Git, you know, Microsoft has some very large code bases in yeah. Windows and Ar- Office. Arguably the biggest in the world. That Windows is 300 gigabytes? Yeah, their, their Git repo is 300 gigabytes, mm. uh, 5.5 million files. Wow. And man. so it's very large. And in, in what I call vanilla Git, um, it just would never work. I mean, Ooh. some commands would never finish. Others, you know, like even just a basic Git status, which is supposed to be instantaneous, would take like 18 minutes. Wow. Um, you know, it's just kind of silly. Didn't you have teams that actually contributed to the Git core libraries to, to deal with those things? Hundreds and hundreds of commits, yeah. So wow. we're now very active committers to Git. Um, we work closely with the community. We partner with GitHub. Um, getting I, back I think to it's the whole fantastic. I- the whole idea of uh, these things taking a long time. It's not just a matter of making them async, right? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you're still waiting. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, no, this really is about fundamentally changing the performance and scale characteristics of Git. Some of it has been just really good old performance tuning of Git because mm-hmm. no one had tried it on really big code bases. Wow. But some of it was really fundamentally changing what Git was doing. We had to add an abstraction layer under Git that works through a virtual file system and basically only manifests the part of the repo that you access. And, you know, nobody accesses all 300 gigabytes of the repo. You only use the little part of code that you work on. We Uh, talked about that virtual file system a little bit uh, in a previous show. Okay. Richard was talking about um, very, very cool stuff. And it also reminds me a little bit of OneDrive. They're related, aren't they? OneDrive does some very similar stuff. We use a different piece of technology than they use. Um, the, the, the lowest level actually is a new piece of technology that the Windows team created for doing, um, for doing sort of very 
intelligent filter drivers on top of Windows. I, I think, and I don't want to speak for the OneDrive team, I think over time they'll migrate to that same piece mm. of technology because I think it's just going to become a core built-in part of the Windows platform. Yeah. And then we built the Git-specific layer on top of that Windows platform support. Yeah, very cool. And it, and it certainly set the high, a higher watermark for anybody thinking about, can I use this repository? Well, if it worked for Windows, yeah. it's probably going to work for you. Yeah. Remember WinFS, the Windows file system yeah. that was supposed to have some virtualization things, and then it was just like, oh, wow, this is a bigger problem than we thought. Yeah, well, I, I think it was way, that, that problem was way bigger than virtualization. They, yeah. Um, I, I, I wasn't involved with WinFS, and I didn't follow it that closely, but I will say... I think it was an incredibly ambitious, ambitious. project. Yeah. I think even Bill used that word to yeah. describe all the stuff yeah. they wanted to do. Back in the day, yeah. yeah, making an object-oriented operating system. That's yeah. right. One of the pillars, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Schematizing the file system, yeah. making it object-oriented. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really a, a vision of a, of a significant transformation in the way you interact with data on a computer. But it looks like, you know, at least in the virtualization area, this this file system and tell us what it is again, what it's called. Uh, so what we call is uh GVFS, Git virtual it. file system. The underlying uh, windows driver currently is called GV Filt only because it was created in tandem with us. They'll, they'll rename it something else yeah. when all said and done. Cause it actually has nothing to do with Git. It really yeah, is yeah. just a right. NTFS file system virtualization technology that just happened to be the first way you used it yeah we just yeah. happened to be the first ones to consume it interesting yeah and just because you, you absolutely needed to it was uh exciting it's cool i remember when visual studio really got taken on internally to microsoft mm -hmm. and teams generally migrated to it but there was like there was exceptions and one of the exceptions was windows yeah and office i think yeah. sql server was the other one could be for a while there and now it's i guess that process never actually stopped because now it looks like the more and more everything is being built with your products yeah yeah so. i think that's that's generally true you know there are always small exceptions uh, and i i'm responsible for our internal engineering systems tooling so i could you know, I could bore you with exceptions, but I think as a general principle, absolutely, that's right. We believe very firmly in use what we sell, sell what we use. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a healthy way to think. And, and I also appreciate that, again, Microsoft being some of the original software development in the world, built a lot of internal tools that yep. never were ever yep. going to see the light of day. They were yep. just for internal use. And yep. you took on responsibility for some of that? I do, yeah. I, I now have... I mean, I, I don't own them all, but mm -hmm. I am responsible for sort of coordinating the the broader ecosystem of our engineering tools. As a whole. So that, yeah. that said, I mean, uh, I thought the VSTS job was an interesting job. Because <laughs> the, the, you, you got to be in some nooks and crannies there too, right? Yeah, like it's a, yeah. it's an old big old company with a lot of software. It is. And some of some of the uh you know, some of the code, if if you think my code is old fifteen <laughs> years or whatever, some of the other code bases are even older. Well and I, much I, bigger. I mentioned uh, you know, we did that interview with you at Duke University where they think we led off with Visual Source Safe. Okay. Which uh, <laughs> which the audience thought was hilarious. And you answered so elegantly. You're you're my reference point for what, what's great about a tech fellow. Okay. Because you just explained it. You just walked <laughs> through, hey, we did a lot with source control. It was the first GUI, like yeah. it was transformative. So yeah. you know, you've sort of been on the line with that all along. Yeah. Uh I've kind of astonished that that 
team system and team services has evolved. I remember it as a product that went beside rational rows. Yep. Like you could go this way or that way, but they were sort of the same thing. Yeah. You don't look anything like that anymore. That's right. Yeah, I think that, you know, the ecosystem has changed a lot. Back mm-hmm. when we first got into this, this business of, of application lifecycle management, uh, solutions, you know, the, the, the industry was dominated by IBM with their rational suite. Right. Rose was, was one of many components along with Clearcase and, you know, and Quality Center and, no, sorry, not Quality Center. That was HP. Uh, shoot, whatever their bug tracking system was called, which yeah. I now forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, you know, there was IBM and there was HP right. with their Mercury, Mercury based tools. Yeah. Um, and, and then there was us and then there was, you know, sort of Borland kind of off a little bit on the side mm-hmm. and a few other smaller players, but it was dominated by the three main players offering sort of, you know, soup to nuts integrated suites. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's changed a lot. Like well, the, the ecosystem is now full of lots of small startups and people trying to weave together best yeah. of breed solutions sure. from that was sort of the normal practice for yeah. a number of years there where you sort of went out on the internet and grabbed the pieces you yeah. liked, you know, yeah. maybe you liked fog bugs yeah. and you know, there was all these different choices and you kind of assembled the kit you wanted yeah. into tribes. Yeah. <laughs> they were very tribal, right? Yeah. It's like you knew this set of tools worked fairly well together, not made by the same companies. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that drove the work we started really about three years or so ago. Might have been four years ago now. I'm terrible with time. Hmm. Um, where we, we sort of opened up TFS as a platform, TFS and VSTS as a platform, op- created a marketplace and started down the journey of having, I don't even know how many we have now. It's got to be 550 or more integrations with just about anything you can think of. So whatever you want to use. Chef or Jenkins or, yeah. you know, you name it. You can integrate with just about anything. Yeah. And so whatever you like, you can use it. That, yep. I mean, the source repository seems to be GitHub these days for a lot of places. Or certainly, certainly for Git open under source. The hood. Certainly for the, for the open yeah, source. Yeah. Git, uh, Git as the, the underlying version control technology right. is increasingly common. Right. GitHub certainly for open source, it's the place to go. I think there's a much, a much more healthy competition among a number of vendors, us and GitLab and, and GitHub and Atlassian and, mm. you know, dot, dot, dot to yep. sort of own the, or, or not own, but rather provide the commercial, um, right. uh, solution. And, uh, but yeah, and, and, you know, we still have a lot of team foundation version control customers, a lot. Uh, in fact, I, I'm just trying to think our Git customer base has been growing faster than our team foundation version control. Team foundation version controls are centralized version controls. And and there's certain organizations that are happier that way. That's the way they want to work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I think. Our Git customer base still has not passed our team foundation, so mm-hmm. our team foundation version control customer base. Um, so there's a lot of them who like it, happy, works. Um, but Git is very popular and is growing very fast. My appreciation for team services came from me leading developers because it gave me a way to figure out if the developer was happy or not or productive or not without interrupting them. Mm, okay. And a mm. line I used, which got quoted back to me the other day in Twitter, was you can't keep pulling up the flowers to see how the roots are growing. <laughs> like every time you interrupt a developer, you affect their performance. Right, yeah. right. And so it was the first console I really got my head around where I'm watching people's check-ins. It's like, if a, if a dev hasn't checked in in two days, do you think on day three you're going to have the greatest check-in known to man? <laughs> I'm betting no. Right? Yeah. So somewhere around that second day is when you sort of 
poke your head and say, hey, how's it going? Wow, is that a keyboard imprint on your forehead? <laughs> it's like instrumenting the team. Yeah. That's what you think of it as. Being able to see that. Is, yeah. these, is that the normal use? Like, Do you see that as a strength of VSTS? It, it is a strength. It is a component. I mean, I, I want to be careful because I... Um, you know, I, I don't believe in sort of a big brother world where people are always watching other people. And, sure. and, and, and you could, you could take it that direction. And that's not how we take it. Mm-hmm. I, I do think giving developers tools to analyze their own productivity and giving teams the ability to analyze the team's productivity are super valuable. Sure. And we do that and we try to do that. Um, I, I think there's a, um, friend of mine says uh sunshine is the greatest disinfectant yes yes so um you know having transparency and and openness and having all the data available so everybody can see it tends to 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 clear up issues before they happen um so big fan of all that stuff but uh but you know i i'm not I, i always warn people i get people who come to me and say hey we need to measure developer productivity what mm. metrics do you use right and yeah. I was like, well, be careful what you measure because yeah. you might not get what you want. Well, as yeah. soon as you put measurement requirements on that, you will get more of that. Are you yes. sure you want more of that? That's right. <laughs> That's what <laughs> you want. Hey, uh, guys, just hold it right there while we take a minute for a word from our sponsor. Hey, Rockheads, this is Carl. Have you tried JetBrains Rider? It's a new cross-platform .NET IDE that's light yet powerful and comes from the makers of ReSharper, IntelliJ, IDEA, and WebStorm. You can write .NET code on Windows, Mac, or Linux. Rider has you covered. Rider helps you develop ASP.NET, .NET Core, .NET Framework, Xamarin, and Unity applications. Most languages used in .NET development are supported. From C-Sharp, VB.NET, F-Sharp, and XAML, to ASP.NET Razor Syntax, JavaScript, TypeScript, and all that other front-end stuff. It comes with navigation, thousands of code inspections, refactorings, unit testing, debugging, rich coding assistance, and more advanced IDE features powered by proven technology from ReSharper and WebStorm. Download Rider now and take it for a 30-day trial at rider.netrocks.com. That's R-I-D-E-R dot D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S dot com. And we're back with Brian Harry, .NET Rocks, Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell here at Microsoft Connect in New York City. We're talking about VSTS. We're talking about Git, GitHub, and all things related. So what do you want to measure from a developer? Delivery of features? Like, what's the healthy measurement? So you measure all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And the thing I always tell people is, there is no measurement that is the answer to almost any question. Yeah. Well, all we know for sure matters. is not K-Logs, right? Like we know <laughs> that for sure. It's definitely not K-Logs. It's not <laughs> bugs, right? It's, yeah. yeah. Um, but you certainly look at all those things. I mean, you look at um, uh, production incidents, mm-hmm. and you look at security issues, and you look at code review data, and you look at you look at all kinds of things. That none of those metrics tell you any given. You know, any an answer to any meaningful question, but they're data to help you form an opinion. Sure. What I do, like the, the ultimate question, when I want to ask, like, are things good or bad? Like, yeah, how are things yeah, going? Yeah. Are customers is, happy? You know? Is the am I delivering good value to the customer? Right. That's the question. That's a good and, number. And what metric is that? Is that a count of features? Well, well not really, because no. if the 
customers don't like the features. Or that's they don't not use good. them. Yeah. You yeah. Developers, so you like get hooked into their Fitbit so you can tell if they're sleeping or not. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> um, it's like, what hey, what we do problem. is we have a practice um, where every sprint, every feature team creates a, a sprint mail that documents the customer value they delivered that sprint. And it mm-hmm. usually includes a video recording of a demo of what they built that sprint. That's great. But to know that they provided value means that after they shipped it, they've measured how it was used. Right. That's right. So, so that, that's, that's an incredibly important part of it. And in this sprint mail, one of the things that they do is include usage metrics out right. of production. So it'll show adoption metrics. We'll show satisfaction data. We'll show a bunch of stuff. And that sprint mail, and I get you know, 45 of them yeah, right. every three weeks. Mm. Um, I read every one of them. And that is the most meaningful tool I have to understand is a team producing good value. I got to think you can read in that video the delight of your devs yeah. when they've delivered something great yeah. that they've now measured and can show is great and are excited yeah. to tell you about. Yeah. Does that mean that they have to record videos all along the way of what they're doing and showing it or is that up to no, the No, they customer? do it at the end of the sprint. They do it at the end of the sprint. Okay, yeah. That's good. Do they hypothesize really thoroughly? Like, is there a whole proposal for this is the things we're going to work on and this is what we think the results are going to be and then at the end they measure them it varies some more so than others um i I think we've experimented with the hypothesis driven development thing um some teams have taken to it better than others Mm -hmm. i think what we've learned is it's a cool idea and can be really effective in some circumstances but it's way harder than it sounds because it turns out getting a good hypothesis and and then good data to test that hypothesis. Right. That's really tough. Is is actually really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say uh, you know a couple of years ago I was like gung ho, super excited about it. We started doing it, and then I started looking at some of the hypotheses and going, hmm, I'm not sure that's an awesome hypothesis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't mean like Didn't good idea, bad it. idea. I just mean it wasn't a great way to ask the question. Right. Um, yeah, and, ask, and asking good questions turns out to be really that's tough. That's right. Yeah. How many times will it crash? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, as a guy who did a lot of time in performance tuning, we were pretty good with hypotheses yeah. around that because it happens to be something that dimensioned well on that. Right. That we had a metric that said, hey, if we can knock two seconds off this load time in an e-commerce site, we think it'll generate additional revenue. Right. And we'd sort of give it a bracket. They were very measurable results. Yep. Yep. There was all the, you know, the best argument was, was it actually the speed and perform, perform, yep. improvement? that made that money go up or was it the new feature that got built at the that's same time? The, that's mm-hmm. the other problem, right? Disentangling yeah. uh, the experiments. You've got 45 experiments going on at that's VSTS right. at the same time. That's right. They are going to interact. Uh, yes, they are. <laughs> but I mean, I hope the team gets together and celebrates too. Like there's yeah. got to be good times for all of that when, yeah, yeah. when they push out good features. Well, I, I think, and, and you know, events like this connect are, are big celebrations for sure. us because it's, it's the culmination of tons of work. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're releasing Team Foundation Server 2018. We've, we released the Azure DevOps project stuff, YAML builds, uh, Mac hosted agents, just tons and tons of stuff. And it's, it's an exciting time for, for the team. And you can't really synchronize all those releases just to be around Connect per se, right? Like it's you, hard. All these things have been worked on for a yeah, while. Absolutely. And many of them have been in production for a long time. You right. just didn't know they it. They just weren't visible. <laughs> so right. you big on feature flags then? Yeah. You just keep them to yourselves till it's time. Yeah. yeah. I've been testing the Azure uh, DevOps project stuff for the last 
two weeks. Okay. And it's been in production under a feature flag, and I had my little secret Earl with the feature flag parameters on it <laughs> that let me, you know, get into it and try it. And uh, the another one is the the YAML support for builds. Mm-hmm. We've got feature teams on my in my team who that's how their builds work and have for like mm. two months. Wow. That's just what they've been using to do their builds and we've been iterating on it and, you know, getting it to the point where we were happy with it. And, and yeah, you turn off the feature flag and then it's available to everybody. Donovan made this point in the keynote today about showing ring zero. It's like, that's us. Right. Yeah. We are the first dog fooders of the <laughs> that's product. Right. But, I, and I'm really interested to see that. I think he went all the way out to ring four. So okay. you clearly yep. have a series of different groups yeah. of people that you expose us to. At some yep. point, I guess it crosses outside of the Microsoft wall. Yeah, actually, Ring Ring Zero is the only purely Microsoft Ring. Oh, okay. Um, ring One is the first customer Ring. Okay, but some of those customers are uh, elsewhere in Microsoft as well. Um, well, Ring Zero is an internal Microsoft scale unit. Right. Right. I don't even know where it's hosted. South Central U.S. I think. Mm-hmm. The Ring One is the Brazil scale unit. The the main reason we chose the Brazil scale unit for that is it's in our time zone. So oh, right. like if there's a problem during you the deployment, we're there. Yeah, yeah, we're awake. We're not getting somebody up at three o'clock in the morning. Right. And you know, it, it's the first non-Microsoft scale unit. We wanted to have people awake and, and attentive when mm-hmm. it was and being are deployed. These generally MVPs or uh, what? Um, no, the what Brazil is- scale unit is just anybody who happens to use the Brazil. You could go create an, an account oh, okay. on the Brazil scale unit. And you, yeah, right. You'd be in ring one. You'd be in ring one. Um, oh, and then great. ring two, I think, is one US scale unit and one Europe scale unit. Ring three is then like, it just the, the rings get bigger and bigger. Right, so sure. it's like ring three is three or four scale units, and ring four actually has a ring four and a ring four A, mm-hmm. um, which has you know six or eight scale units between them. It wow. it, it just the rings gradually get bigger. And by the Absolutely. time it gets to the customer, it's been through the ringer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> save me. <laughs> well, hey Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, must be that happy time again. Yep, it's time to announce our new open source project, PGFS. The pretty good file system. <laughs> it corrupts your files randomly once a year or so. So, you know, not bad. <laughs> pretty Pre- good. Pretty good. That's okay. It's pretty it's, good. It's pretty good. Awesome. It's, kind of, it's also known as the Russian roulette file system, nice. RRFS. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a de-experience subscription from our friends at DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React Grid, Built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux and all that. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing, and you can check it out for free on GitHub. And learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Mark Phillips. Congratulations, Mark. Golf yeah. for you, sir. And Mark just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. 
And if you don't know what that is, just go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club, because, you know, we have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, real soon now, mm-hmm. yeah, just in a few days, we, well, I can't say a few days, but sometime in the beginning of December, we're going to be giving away, as we always do, a $5,000 technology shopping spree. Nice. To one lucky member of the fan club that you got to sign up to win. And we also yeah. like to ask our guests, Brian, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Oh, I'd probably buy a HoloLens. Yeah. 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 You don't I have a HoloLens? Lo- I don't have a HoloLens. I have, I have had one on loan. Right. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, Adam, you know, Adam Kogan, of course, yeah, Adam Kogan bought one and he had it shipped to my house. So <laughs> they won't ship to Australia. I, I kept it host- hostage for about a month and, and we played with it and really enjoyed it. Uh, I but then it I had be a to, useful farming device. I had to give it you know? to him. Yeah, I have to give it back to him. Yeah. He did, did we, pay for did we it just all. get Adam Kogan in trouble with the customs agency? <laughs> <laughs> I had to get mine delivered to your place, That's if right. you recall. That's so right. it works yeah. both ways. But yeah. Yeah, it's and it's. I mean, there should be new hardware soon. I'm hoping yeah. next year. Like yeah. it's just the augmented reality thing, especially when we talk about stuff like you know, you run or operate a farm, yeah. like, to be able yeah. to have data in your line of view yeah. while you're doing the things you need to do in the space. Have is the very numbers and graphs hovering over the over the cows and yeah. pigs and sheep, whatever <laughs> yes. they are. Instrumented livestock. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. <laughs> we did a show ages ago. I think it was Remy Carone, yeah. the instrumented cow. Instrumented yeah, cow. That's right. Yeah. And he ran into EU data privacy rules for cows. Oh, right. really? Apparently those exist. Wow. <laughs> Somewhere there's a research project saying how cows only line up north to south when they're sleeping or something like that. <laughs> I saw something stupid about that, but somewhere say, there's a research project. I don't know whose research project that is, but I can attest that cows in North Carolina don't do that. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> You're sure. I'm sure. That's Pretty good. Sure. Um, the, uh, I also have a hollow lens, and I have a 10-year-old boy neighbor, yep. and I am the coolest effing neighbor in, that, <laughs> in the history of neighbors ever. Because he comes over and he plays, uh, you the, know, the alien game. The alien right? game. So the aliens come out of the walls. Yeah, yeah. Or even come out of your table. That's yeah, amazing. that's cool. We had, it needs more software and it needs another rev. And does. Yeah. And augmented reality wait. needs to come true. I'm, yeah. I'm excited for. It. I think it's the only thing that's going to displace the smartphone. Yeah, you know, that's probably what I kind of differ with you on that. I I think unless it becomes as, yeah, I mean, look at what happened with Google Glass. I don't want to start another tangent but i don't know i i sort of think we're always going to have a device whether we're always looking down at it that's another thing. as opposed to wearing it on your face yeah yeah it's an interesting challenge yeah and i mean it also speaks to what software man- development management is going to look like going forward i mean you're clearly driving this you're certainly in that problem the, the devops cycle integrating these new development chains one yep. way or the other you've certainly battled large scale yeah but it's got to be more coming yeah yeah, I think, you know, the big, the big, I'd say the big push in the industry right now really is just about automating the delivery process, mm-hmm. getting it repeatable, getting down to short cycles. And the reality is, as much as we talk about it, the vast majority of customers still aren't there yet. No, I like, totally agree. That is, yep. And it's, I, I think there's also the cultural challenge of just 
not being easy to allow failure because yeah. people just don't believe that they recover quickly. Yeah. Like it's a failed deploy used to be a catastrophe. Right. Yeah. And these, totally. these tools now allow us to roll back, yep. right? Or to actually have, rather than have to test everything, make sure it's perfect every time that you can afford to yeah. experiment, have a problem and fix it mm-hmm. in realistic. Yeah, there are some very different mindsets that that come into play when you really think about adopting DevOps in a big way. Sure. I think that that one to me is that's the one that goes all the way upstairs. Yeah. Do we have an ability to to shine a light on a failure and not have it destroy someone's career in the process? Right. It's like we understand this. We won't make that same mistake. We're going to do better. Yeah. And we can move forward. And and I think as I've you know worked as a consultant in different organizations, you eventually come to a point where it's like it's the VP. Right. You know, it's the boss yep. and the, he just can't tolerate failures. Right. And so right. everybody's afraid. Right. How many of these differences can you um, pin on scale as, as the problem? Like, you know, things that happen differently, at, you know, for larger projects than they do for smaller projects. Some of it's scale, although I wouldn't have said scale is the, is the number one. I would have said it's mission criticalness, right? It's how okay. critical is the app to the business. And the more critical the app is, the more risk averse people are. Mm. And, um, is that a cost of downtime thing? Yeah. I think part of it's that it's also just a customer embarrassment problem, right? right? So Mm. you you sort of get a, you know, a a black eye when you have problems Mm -hmm. and, you know, you just have to rethink how you do all those things and how you do your testing and how you do your deployments and how you get customer feedback and how quickly you're able to patch problems and, and all of that is just, you have to, it's, it's really like standing the whole thing on its head and optimizing sure. for mm. just completely different things. Well, and I think the acceleration of testing is where a lot of people struggle. Like yeah. you can build a CI pipeline so you can yeah. get that code out That's somewhere right. pretty quickly. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, actually include the testing in that stream. Yep. And I think Donovan showed 65,000 unit tests for VSTS. Wow. Believable. Like I that. didn't remember the number, but I believe it. I only, yeah. and the only reason I know it is I saw it a couple hours ago. Yeah. But yeah, continuous delivery, the fastest way to deliver bugs to production. <laughs> <laughs> I do like continuous delivery, at least to QA, you know, at least to an environment, you know, that's consistent so that we could, we can do that testing. I'm just wondering how you get the test going that fast. Like, yeah. can, you, can you, I think he said seven minutes or something to run all yeah, those Yeah, it's about tests. that. Um, yeah. So, uh, long conversation. I won't go into all the details, but we've evolved our testing over the years quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, even until two or three years ago, like to get full test coverage for us took, over 12 hours. I, I yeah. don't remember the exact number, but it was a really long time. And the mm-hmm. reason was because we sort of did a lot of testing the way everybody did does, has done testing, which is mm-hmm. a lot of integration testing, functional UI automation. Um, and you, you're, you're never going to succeed at DevOps if that's your, your primary approach. We right. still have some. You, you never get away completely from it because it, it tests some things that you can't test They're any distinct. other way. Yeah. Right. But, you know, you, we used to be 90 some percent functional coverage. Right. It's fragile. It's expensive to maintain. It, it's slow. It ends up with a lot of duplicate coverage across right. tests. You're it doesn't isolate stuff over. very well. Mm-hmm. That also means that when I need to make a change, when uh, you break changes more tests. break more tasks, yeah. like it's just super hard. So we moved over the last two years. It was a massive, massive investment for us to basically throw away every test we had written and rewrite new tests, 
all as in, in a new infrastructure that I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but let's call it in a spectrum from pure unit tests mm-hmm. of uh, calling you know, directly to a call method. a method, test yeah. that method yeah. up to UI automated end to end functional tests of a, you know, of a deployed app. Mm. And, you know, whereas it used to be like 90% on the right functional tests and, you know, 10% on the left of unit tests. Mm-hmm. Um, we now have a graph that's like reversed where right. it's 95% kind of in the left hand side of the graph mm. and only like 5% on the right hand side of the graph. And, and, and those unit tests are very parallelizable. You just light up many parallelizable. And run that's right. Simultaneously. That's right. Across a bunch of machines and. It goes crazy fast. Sure. Yeah. They're also just each individual test runs in milliseconds right. instead of, you know, our, our functional tests might take 15 seconds because sure. you're waiting for the app to yeah. come up and render and you got tests pushing buttons mm-hmm. and, you know, the tests run forever. So it's 15 seconds, you know, 100 milliseconds. Right. Which one, which yeah. one's going to go faster? Do you, do you see some kind of consistent ratio there that, you re- there's only a handful of tests that really do need to be a sort of selenium driven or you know functional ui driven approach yeah i don't know that i have a formula for yeah. a ratio but yeah it is like you 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 want it. your users are going to experience yeah. the ui the so, first time the ui gets walked all the way through should not be with a human that's right <laughs> there should so but you, it should only be walked through once that's right so you yeah. you want to have some end to end experience based tests but you don't want to try like you would never use those to sort of test all your corner cases. Right. You just want to mm. test that basically the flow through your UI Prior works. Workflow. That's okay, right. that makes sense. And then you've got unit tests underneath testing all those edge pieces right. that you know those methods actually call properly. That's uh, right. Uh, I guess the other element of this is is there an edge a slower edge test running in the background that might pick up more unusual cases, but isn't a primary stopper to a continuous delivery process. You could do that. We don't. And and the reason is again, because maintaining those tests is too expensive. Yeah. It just gets brittle after a while. I've definitely been in the case where we did a major dot rev on a product and broke every test. Yeah. Yeah. And you just like start over. We find that the second time around type tests, in other words, you pull, pull the app up and you go through all the stuff and it works just fine. But then if you, pick, you know, say 15 steps. Let's say you go back to step five right. and pick it up from there and just change things that, you know, those are kinds of problems that you don't get. Makes sense. Unless yeah, they, they tend to be state-based problems. State once, problems. once something's, you know, uh, in a particular state, what happens? And, yeah. you know, you got to factor that into your unit testing. You need to be yeah, able to simulate right. states in your unit tests and, and validate that, your um that your your code behaves properly in all the all right. the states yeah as i'm at, it, it probably even a bigger problem with spas and things than it is with uh with desktop yeah. software yeah yeah it makes but sense certainly yeah i'm certain well we're all so much more web driven these days and mm. it's just access to the apis and knowing how things are going to behave and yeah dealing with all the browser variations which is a whole other can of worms yes. but it just brings it up that you know Writing tests is an art. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's, it's it takes very a, skilled people. Yeah. And I, and I mean, totally get how you started out with 90% functional. That speaks to your testing group. Mm. Right. That's they, right. Their instinct was to go to the app. That's right. And so. Well, and also they didn't really have access to the code. And, sure. And the other problem is, you know, this was one of the big changes we made as we moved the responsibility for testing 
from what was a dedicated testing organization into a combined engineering organization, it made the people writing the code accountable for the testability of the code because nice. they had mm-hmm. to also write the test. Yes. Yeah. So suddenly when, you know, when it's, when it's that guy over there who has to write the test, well, I don't care how hard my code is to test. I'm going to optimize for the things for that coding. I care about yeah. that I'm accountable for. And I'm going to get measured by. Sure. But, um, when it's suddenly me who has to write the tests and me who has to sort of stand behind the the quality of it, now it might turn out to be easier for me to, uh, a better use of my time, for me to make the code more testable mm. than it is for me to write elaborate tests around yeah. the poor testability Absolutely. of the code. Absolutely. Yeah, it does make a lot more sense. It changes the tone of the dev. Yeah. So what's next for you, Brian? What, what are you working on now, now that Connect is over and you get some... Well, I think uh, you know, I haven't announced this to the team yet, but I think I'm going to give the team a couple days off because we've had uh, we've had a hard push for yeah. Connect. So I think we're going to take a little break, uh, certainly over the Thanksgiving holiday, and, nice. and I hope everybody gets to spend some time with their families. Um, after we come back, um, you know, we have a lot more work to do. We have more work to do on the YAML stuff. We've got to extend mm-hmm. the YAML stuff into the release pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a bunch more work we're going to do in our in our version control stuff. I mean, it's just, it's never ending. There is, there's so much more for us to do. We're, we're doing a bunch of stuff around social, um, mm-hmm. being able to make your, your experience more social across your organization to better mm-hmm. uh, improve sharing of code across the organization. So you'll see more of that coming up in the next year. Awesome. Lots and lots of good stuff. Awesome. Great. Well, Brian, it's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And don't be a stranger. All right. Well, thank you much. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.